Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. We have recently moved our Sunday services and midweek connect groups online to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Join us for Church at Home this Sunday by logging on to christchurchlondon.online.church at 10am, 11am, 5pm, 7pm or 8pm for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Hi everyone and welcome to my home, or at least this very small corner of my home, the only bit of my home I'm going to let you see. Uh, The rest of it is a mess. The Frisbee Academy is in full swing and they have ransacked the place. We tried to institute this choose it, use it, put it away kind of policy with all kind of the creative stuff and the craft stuff. Feels like our students, there's only two of them, it's a very exclusive school. Uh, It feels like our students do the first two very well and then leave the third one to the teachers at the end of the day. Um, So that's why I'm backed up into this corner. But anyway, this is all the space that we need. Um, If you are joining us today for the first time, a massive welcome to you. Uh, We are three weeks into our new sermon series, which we have called Good Fruit. And it's looking at the fruit of the Spirit, which we find listed in Galatians chapter 5, a book of the Bible written by the Apostle Paul. And in this bit of the Bible, Paul tells us that living by the Spirit of Jesus, walking in step with the Spirit, will form us into people who are able to respond to the world with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes, I did go to Sunday school as a child. Yes, that list was drummed into me from an early age. But anyway, the reason that we want to take the next few weeks to look at this list, to look at the fruit of the Spirit, is for two reasons. Firstly, because we want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. We want to become people that respond to the world with more love, more joy, more peace, and so on. But then secondly, we also want to look at this because this tells us something, this list tells us something about the very nature and character of God. I don't know what you think about when you think about God, what image comes to mind, but the message of the Bible is that God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. God will always be like Jesus. Or as the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael Ramsey, put it, God is Christ-like and in him there is no unchristlikeness at all. So looking at the character of Jesus through this list in Galatians 5 gives us insight into what God truly is like. And that insight will actually transform us so we become more like him. So today we're going to focus on the fact that Jesus reveals to us that God is a God of love that Jesus loves us and that through that love we are transformed, we are remade into his image to become people who love like Jesus loves. Now on one level I know this sounds very basic, very kind of Christianity one-on-one. We know that God is love, we know that Jesus is love incarnate, we know that he loves us, we know that we're supposed to love like him, tick, 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 done. But actually I don't think it is quite that simple and it's actually a easy, I think, to become confused around this issue because of our different understandings of what love really is. Especially for those of us who have English as a heart language, because our one word, love, can be used to describe a whole range of emotions and feelings, a whole range of different types of relationships. So when we say that Jesus loves us, are we talking about the kind of loyal affection that occurs between friends? Are we thinking of that kind of forsaking all others kind of devotion that happens between a couple? 
Or are we thinking of maybe that love that happens between a mother and a child, that fierce, warrior-like love? You know, I got to see love like this firsthand when our first daughter, Olivia, was born. Jackie, my wife, was admitted to hospital on Friday afternoon and Olivia didn't make an appearance all the way until Monday morning. So it was a long, hard, tough labour. The medical team were amazing, doing what they do, monitoring and where they could, like nudging things along, but just things weren't progressing until it got to very early Monday morning. Um, and the monitors showed that Olivia's heart rate had dipped and wasn't coming back up, her oxygen sats were down. And it came to this moment where the doctor came to us and said, we need to get your baby out right now. You need an emergency C-section. And within minutes, Jack's had been rushed into theatre and given scrubs, I change, I run in there. And it's like this whole Formula One pit crew has assembled around her. I haven't seen so many people this whole weekend, all ready to do their thing. And epidural is given, we're waiting for that to kick in. And I'm with Jack's trying to hold it together, praying with her, talking to her. And she looks at me and she's exhausted and she's afraid. And it's a traumatic thing and I don't know like my memory does weird things but I don't know if this was a conversation we had then or a conversation we had later on but I felt it in the moment she just looked at me with this intensity and she said something to the effect of if it comes down to me and her I choose her I choose her now, thankfully, it didn't come down to that. Thank God, the medical team, their expertise, Olivia was, everything was fine in the end. But man, that, that is love, right? And it just seems crazy to me that we can say that that is love and use that exact same word and then apply it to how we feel about a sports team or a TV show or our favourite shoots. This massive linguistic range of our English word love that means it's slightly more complicated when we say Jesus loves us because what do we mean? Is it the love of a mother like a, a Jax to Olivia? Is it the love of a friend? Is it the love of a spouse? Are we just saying that Jesus is a big fan of us? Are we just saying that currently when it's top 10 but something else comes along and we're going to get knocked right off? Then this whole what is love thing is further complicated by the fact that all of us know people who have said that they love us, were supposed to love us, and yet acted in very unloving ways towards us. Some of us have been so scarred by love, we not only doubt that person's love for us, we've come to doubt love itself. And then added on top of that, we also know people who appear to act towards us in very loving ways, and yet when we get under the surface, we realise that their motivation isn't anything to do with us, it's all about them. It's out of a self-interest, it's out of fear, it's out of pride. And I say this as someone who was a firefighter for 10 years and who came to realise, quite painfully, I might add, that the reason that I wanted to rescue people wasn't out of some pure selfless love for those in danger. It was because actually... I wanted to be seen as a hero in the hope that maybe that would fill up this hole inside me and make me feel like I was actually worth something. So all that to say, love is complicated. We bring so much baggage to it. There's so much kind of range to it. So what do we mean when we say that Jesus loves us? How do we work that out? Well, maybe instead of starting with kind of our own definition of love and then seeing if that applies to Jesus, 
maybe we start with Jesus and how he lived and acted and then let that define for us what love really is. And actually, that's exactly what we find happens in the scriptures. John, one of Jesus' best friends in the letter that he writes, writes this. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. As the theologian Greg Boyd points out, when the New Testament tries to define for us what love is, it doesn't give us some abstract definition. Instead, it gives us, it points us to the supreme illustration of love. It points us to Jesus and the cross. Because it's on the cross that we see Jesus willingly giving himself for us, willingly taking the full effects and consequences of our sin upon himself in order that we might never have to suffer them. We see him on the cross, not just risking his life in order to bring us to new life, but willingly giving his life, suffering the most degrading, dehumanizing death possible in order to restore to us our full humanity as divine image bearers. We see on the cross Jesus becoming a curse for us, becoming God forsaken, becoming separated from the source of all love that he'd enjoyed for all eternity past so that we might never have to be. And we look to him not just dying for family and friends, but dying for the world, dying even for his enemies, for those who had abandoned him, for those who betrayed him, for those who even at that moment were involved in killing him. The cross is truly how we know what love is. In fact, this cruciform, this sacrificial, this unconditional love of Jesus was so much wider and deeper and higher and longer than any love that the world had ever encountered before that it pretty much needed a new name. So the common language at the time of Jesus was Greek. The New Testament is written in Greek. And when the New Testament writers are trying to describe this cruciform love of Jesus, none of the other Greek words for love will do. Eros, storge, philia, they just don't do justice to what had happened to Jesus on the cross, the love he displayed there. And so they settled upon this word agape. And it's almost exclusively used through the New Testament when, we just, when it describes the love of God. It's this word agape that is used. And for some reason, this whole week, um, as I've been thinking about this, this has reminded me of a fact that I know about oranges. Oranges. Now, I don't know if you know this fact. I heard it on QI, so obviously it must be true. Stephen Fry doesn't lie about stuff like this. But the fact about oranges is that before these things appeared in England, in the English language, there was no word for the colour orange. Orange, the fruit, appeared before orange, the colour. And if you think about it, this kind of makes sense of why we say that robins are red when they're blatantly orange. And when we say that um, if you don't have blonde hair or dark hair, you have red hair, doesn't matter if you're Ed Sheeran, Emma Stone or Meredith from Brave, you're just, your hair's described as red. But then in the 1500s, these appeared and they weren't yellow, they weren't red. They were something different, something more vibrant, something brighter. They needed a new word to describe this colour and this is the word that they chose, oranges. Came to define the very essence of the colour. 
And that's what agape love did, the cruciform love, the enemy love of Jesus did for love. It redefined what we knew about love. It changed it forever. It wasn't that the other kinds of love were bad. They're not. They're amazing. They're to be celebrated and encouraged. It's just in comparison to the agape love of Jesus. Even at their best, we see that they are narrow in their scope and far more conditional than we would like to admit. The natural loves, as C.S. Lewis calls them, just don't have the power to change the world. They don't have the power to make enemies into friends. But that agape love of Jesus, the sacrificial love, that cruciform love of Jesus does. Now I realise I spent most of our time together today focusing on Jesus' love for us, rather than talking about how do we grow in this love for ourselves. And that's because actually... The only way that we are able to love others like Jesus loves us, the only way that we can grow in agape love, in unconditional, sacrificial enemy love, is to realise, is to experience that kind of love for ourselves. Let's go back to 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is, he writes. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and therefore, he continues, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Do you see the order there? The order there is so important. It is out of an understanding and experience of being loved in this way that we are therefore able to love others in this way. Apparently in his later years, John, who wrote this, would travel around preaching in different churches and he preached effectively variations on the same theme. Um, and you could distill every single message that he spoke into two Greek words, which at their root have agape. Beloved, let us love. Beloved, let us love. Out of being loved, you are able to love. This is the order that we see in the scripture. And it's only when we know deep down, it's only when we experience this love for ourselves that we can love others in this way too. You know, Jesus told a parable about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Do you know what Jesus is describing in this passage? He's describing himself. He's the man digging around in a field that no one thinks is worth anything because he knows that deep down there is value, there is treasure there. And when he finds it, he goes off and he gives up everything, gives up his whole life in order to get it. Do you know what that means? You're the treasure. You, you right there, you are the treasure that Jesus gave up everything for. And in this moment, I want you to imagine in your mind the look on that man's face in this story the moment that he finds this treasure that he's been looking for, the joy as he sells everything and comes back knowing that it's his, that's the look on Jesus' face as he looks upon you right now. There is a smile on the face of God for you. You know, the promise of the scriptures is that if we ask him, the Holy Spirit will pour the love of Jesus into our hearts. So just in this moment now, as we end our time together, I, I want to invite him to do that. 
And you might find it helpful just to close your eyes and to hold out your hands, just this posture of receiving. I know it might feel strange if you're on your own or especially if you're not on your own, but just go with this. I know there'll be some of you watching this and you don't even know yet if you fully believe in a God and a God of love. But I just encourage you, what do you have to lose in this moment? By just asking the question and by just saying either out loud or in your heart, God, if you are real, God, if you really do love me, if Jesus's love is really for me, please make that real to me. I want to experience that. So Holy Spirit, in this moment, I pray, pour out the love of Jesus upon us. I pray that we would know his love in this moment. I pray that we would know that we are treasured, worth giving up everything for. I pray break through the lies that God is angry, God is disappointed. Break through those lies in this moment with the truth that you love us, that you are for us, that you are with us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love displayed on the cross. We thank you for your love that we see as higher, wider, deeper, longer than any other love we have ever known. We want to live each day out of the strength of that love, out of the foundation of that love. We want to build our life upon that love. And I pray that you would help us as we experience this love for ourselves, for that love to overflow to those around us. I pray that we'll be able to love the city that we are in because we have been loved by you. I pray this in your incredible name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristchurchLondon.org.